I'm so grateful, praise team, for your ministry to us, and especially in the absence of Julie today, uh, you, you guys did just such a wonderful job of leading us, and I know it's a great encouragement to Julie uh, to know that she has you all to step in for her while she recovers, and I'd like to take just a moment as well to pray for Julie and uh, just for the Lord's healing in her life. Um, my wife has uh, had similar surgery, and so she and Julie have uh, talked together about that. And uh, let's just pray for her again this morning. Father, um, as the members of the praise team all know, Julie is such a blessing to work with. Um, she is not about herself by any means. She's about others and how she can minister to others. And she reflects uh, the deep joy of the Lord that is a reality in her life. And so, uh, Father, as we miss her today, uh, we're even thankful for this new song that she introduced a few weeks ago that we could sing again so preciously today and continue to strengthen her. Uh, We are grateful that the surgery went well and we just ask now that you as the healer of your people would extend your strength uh, to her and uh, may she just be able to rest and and gain uh, all that she stands in need of. And so as she is recovering today, uh, we're thankful that you are there with her and we commit her to your Loving care, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we get started, I want to introduce you to Eliana. And Eliana is three weeks old, and she is being adopted by my niece and her husband. They have just brought her home from another state in the last couple of days, and there she is again. And I mean, isn't that precious? I mean, you can, you can tell that I'm a proud uncle here today, can't you? And, um, you know, imagine the life that is unfolding <clears throat> before Eliana. Uh, she was born to a 17-year-old uh, teen mom uh, with lots of problems. And now she's adopted by a Christian couple who loves the Lord and wants to raise her in a godly, loving, stable home. Uh, Sometimes we ask people, how are you doing? Uh, And there's a common response that we now get in our culture. And people will say, well, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. And imagine this little girl. Imagine this little girl. She doesn't have any idea that she will be living a dream. Do you know, if you are a Christian, you have something in common with Eliana. You've been adopted. Not by fallible human parents who make mistakes. You've been adopted by God. Um... How many think that Eliana's adoptive parents are going to make some mistakes? (laughs) Yeah, uh, of course 
they are. But I want you to think about being adopted by God. He makes no mistakes or errors. He's the perfect Father. Listen, today, if you've been adopted by God, whether you realize it or not, you're living the dream. You are living the dream. And this morning, we want to see what that dream is. Now, as you know, we've been looking at Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is really all about what does the Holy Spirit do for us. And today, we learn that He is the Spirit of adoption. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17. You may want to take a Bible out of the chair that's near you and turn to the sixth book of the Bible, the book of Romans chapter 8, excuse me, the New Testament, the sixth book of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. And let me read out of this passage for us as we are getting started here, verse 15. And let me encourage you to follow along in your Bibles this morning. Romans 8, our sixth book in the New Testament, and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's bow together for just a moment in prayer. And then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, this is one of the most precious passages in all of Scripture. It is filled with encouragement. It grants to us a peace and a firm security that helps us to know that we belong to You in a unique and special way. And You love us as Your dear children. Help us now to see the wonder of this, that our hearts might be encouraged. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Now the first thing I want to do in this message this morning is I want to talk about what is the spirit of adoption. Well, the Bible tells us there's two ways you become a child of God. One is through the new birth. Jesus said in John 3 verse 3, uh, unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we need to be born again spiritually And the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that brings about that spiritual life. Earlier in verse 2 of Romans 8, we saw that He is the Spirit of life who makes us alive to the things of God when we trust Christ and He becomes our Lord and Savior. The second way that we become a child of God, according to verse 15, which I read, is by adoption. Now, when the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of adoption, what it means is the Spirit is the one who affects or brings our adoption about. 
so that when He comes to indwell our lives, at that very moment, the effect of that is that God the Father adopts us as foreigners, as aliens, into His family, and we now become His children. Now you might say to me this morning, well, what's the difference between the two? What is the difference between becoming a child of God by the new birth and by adoption? Well, the new birth changes our nature. In the new birth, we receive a new nature that is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that that is the very life and nature of God. So our hearts are changed. But adoption is all about changing our privileges. Uh, This morning, after the early service, people that have adopted came to me. And they understand this. They rejoice in this. When you adopt a child, that child has all the legal rights and privileges of a natural-born child. And so adoption is all about our privileges now as children of God. In the Roman world, this is what would happen. Um, a, A Roman man or a father would deliberately adopt a son that he would choose to carry on that father's name and to inherit his estate. The adopted son sometimes could become the preferred heir. So he would uh, be the, the leader of the estate, even over a natural child, and sometimes the adopted son would reproduce the father's character even more than the natural son. The goal of the adopted father in the Roman world was to raise a son worthy, worthy of the father, who would honor that father by managing his inheritance well. Now with all of that background, all of that background, what we want to see here in these verses is the powerful effects of adoption on the children of God. You see, it can be easy for us to come to this passage and read this and say, well, that's wonderful. As a Christian, I'm adopted into the family of God, but what difference does it make in my practical life? What does it make in how I live day in and day out? And what we discover is it makes a huge difference. It has powerful effects in our lives. And this morning we want to see these from this very precious passage, all right? So let's look at the first one, okay? Here's the first one. The first effect of adoption is we take on the family character. We take on the family character. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now stop here for a moment. This is why God adopted you and me as a Christian. To reproduce His character in our lives 
by the work of His Holy Spirit. Now, this is the leading that verse 14 is talking about. You see, most of us here today know verse 14 practically by heart, where it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you know what it's very easy for us to do? To take this verse, rip it out of its context, and say, well, I know what this leading is referring to. What it means is, the Holy Spirit guides me in the decisions of my life. So He guides me as to what school I should go to, who I should marry, what job I should get, and uh, what place that I should live. Now, the Holy Spirit does give us that kind of guidance. Amen, this morning? Yes, He does. But that is not the meaning of verse 14. Verse 14 is connected to verses 12 and 13 by some very important words, the word for, which means that verse 14 is explaining verses 12 and 13. And then notice, by the Spirit in verse 13 is repeated again by the Spirit in verse 14. So verse 14 is intimately connected to verses 12 and 13. Uh, Would you agree with me this morning? We must never take a verse, rip it out of its context, and say, I know what this verse means out of its context. Would you agree with that? You know what the context here is? Not vocation, but character. Character. The Spirit of God in this verse, we are not being told, leads us in vocation. But He leads us in character. He leads us to become like our Father. Now I want you to notice as we look at verses 12 and 13 how He does this, alright? Look at it. He changes our sense of obligation to our past life. Verse 12 says, Then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now here's what happens. Once the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He makes us aware that we don't have to live the way that we used to live. Debtors here is a financial word. And it means to owe somebody something. So when He says we're not debtors to our flesh the way that we used to live our past life, It means one who is obligated to or one who must. You know what he's saying? We no longer must. We no longer must. We can say no to the past life that we used to live. Let's think of it this way. Suppose a birth parent were to come and start ordering around an adopted child. What would that child say to that birth parent? Suppose when Eliana grows up and she's 10, her 
birth parent would come and start ordering her around, you know what she would say, what she could say? I don't have to take orders from you. I'm in a different family now. You have no say in how I live. Now, brothers and sisters, that is very, very liberating. My old life has no say. I don't have to take orders from it anymore. And the Holy Spirit, as He has now adopted us into the family, communicates to us, we now can say no to the things in the past unlike we ever could before. Notice the second thing. He gives us a new desire to fight. A new desire to fight. Verse 13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That expression, put to death, means to execute. It means to kill. The idea here is a sort of a life and death struggle, a hand-to-hand combat with the old nature that remains within us and sort of a death struggle, not allowing it to control us anymore. In my previous church, um, there was a man who uh, was in World War II as a soldier, and he was behind enemy lines in the Philippines as a person who did guerrilla warfare in hand-to-hand combat. And the things that he was involved in, in death struggles with enemies in World War II, caused him to have nightmares many times later in his life. And you all can have an image, and I can have an image in my mind, of what it means to engage in a death struggle with the things of our old life. How many of you think executing the flesh, killing the flesh, sounds like a pretty intense battle? Doesn't it? Listen. Don't let anyone ever tell you that living the Christian life is easy. Don't ever let anyone tell you that. The Christian life is a fight with ourselves. And it is a fight with ourselves all the way until Jesus takes us home. The present tense here of put to death is very, very important. It means daily, hourly, choosing to fight the old life that still wants to control us. You see, the old ways want to dominate. They want to reassert control. They want us to lead us down old paths. And here's what one pastor has said is the idea here about fighting those old ways of our old life we have to pull them out 
We have to look at them. We have to denounce them. We have to hate them for what they are. And then he says, we have really dealt with it. And notice the third thing the Holy Spirit does. He gives us the power we need. He gives us the power we need. Did you notice verse 13? You do this by the Spirit. Verse 14. You are led by the Spirit. Those are three of the most encouraging words in the Bible. If you have not underlined those three words by the Spirit, underline them in your Bible, or if you have a tablet or whatever today, highlight them in yellow, whatever you are able to do. Because what that says to us is as we fight this fight with the old life, the Spirit will be there and He will help us in living this new life. I want to bring this down a little bit to where we live this morning. And let me tell you about a group of Christian men that I was with some time ago. And one of the men in the group made fun of another man that was in the group, but he thought, this guy's far enough away that he doesn't hear what I have said about him that makes fun of him. But I was close enough to the other guy, and I knew that he heard. And I knew that he was hurt. And after the group broke up, I, I thought to myself, what should I do? And so I took a risk. I called the man who was quite a bit older than me on the phone. I told him about the hurt that his words had brought into that brother's life. And what he said totally surprised me, made me so glad I had called him. He said, thank you for calling me. I have a problem with that. And I thought, here's a guy who is saying to me, I've got a problem with pride. I see myself as above others. It leads me sometimes to be sarcastic, to joke about others in a way that puts them down. And he acknowledges over the phone to me, thank you for calling me and pointing this out to me because I have a problem with that. Brothers and sisters, that is fighting by the Spirit. That is fighting by the Spirit. When we acknowledge, I have a problem with that, 
I have to see that in my life. I have to denounce it. I have to hate it. I have to not accept it. I have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit show it to me and then trust Him for the change that I know He wants to bring. Brothers and sisters, that is fighting by the Spirit. And as we learn the principles of the Word of God, as we depend upon the Holy Spirit within us, as we learn from others, the Lord brings the change in our life that He longs to see. Do you see why God adopted you? He wants you to be like Him. Can you raise your hand today and say, the character of God is being formed in me since I've become a Christian. If you can say that, and you know it's because of the Spirit of God, then that is a wonderful testimony to your adoption. Let's look at the second thing. The second powerful result of adoption is we are secure in the Father's acceptance. Now look with me at verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, in these verses that I just read for you are three points that are made about our new relationship with the Lord since we have been adopted into His family. And I want to, this morning, ask you again to look at little Eliana and recognize all that she is now experiencing because of her adoption and then realize this is a microcosm of you and me and God. Look what is true about this three-week-old baby. We are no longer slaves to a past life. This verse says we are sons or daughters, not slaves under an old master. And then we have no fear of our new father's rejection. And this verse tells us that there's no fear in this new relationship that we have with God as His adopted children. And then notice this. We are in an intimate relationship with the Father and we now know that we are loved and we are cared for by Him. Uh, I wish that someday I could introduce you to my niece's husband, John Ratchin. And when I met him... I recognized why it was that my niece fell in love with him. 
He's such a gracious, loving individual. And I just uh, am thrilled that this little girl is going to be raised by this man who so desires to have a child that he can share his love with, that he has adopted her, brought her into her family, and now is going to love and care for her in an intimate relationship that she could never imagine. And all that she's experiencing is what God does for us in our adoption. You know when verse 15 tells us that we cry, Abba, Father? Abba was the way that Jesus prayed every time but one in His relationship with God. The only time that Jesus ever addressed God that we have recorded in the Bible is when He was on the cross and He cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as the Father turned from Him because He was bearing the sins of the world, for the first time He knew separation from the Father. That's the only time He never cried Abba or spoke to the Father in prayer without saying Abba. In the first service, one of my friends came to me afterwards, and he reminded me that when we have this phrase, Abba, Father, only found three times in the New Testament, Abba is the Aramaic word, because Jesus spoke Aramaic. Father is the Greek word that is interpreting the Aramaic word. So Abba would be understood by Aramaic-speaking people. Father or Pater would be understood by Greek-speaking people. Do you know that no Jew ever, ever felt they could address God as my Father? To address God in this way was unheard of. The great prayers of the Bible that you read, Solomon's prayer, Nehemiah's prayer, Daniel's prayer, you'll never read my father. It was felt to be too familiar. But all of this was overturned by Jesus as God's only Son. He enjoyed an intimate relationship with the Father. And therefore, He used the word that little children would use in addressing their fathers. Abba means Papa. It means Daddy. When a little girl would stumble and scrape her knees, she would say, Abba. Abba. And it meant loving nearness and very sweet trust. Now, brothers and sisters, understand then what God is saying to us. Jesus has given us our own unique word for God. We can have the same nearness and warm relationship with the Father that Jesus had as we approach Him in prayer. Now this then tells me what verse 16 means. 
Just as we must not rip verse 14 out of its context, but connect it to verses 12 and 13, so verse 16 must not be divorced from verse 15. Notice what verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does that mean? It is the inner testimony when we pray that we are really the children of God. Pastor Jim Boyce says this, it is an overwhelming sense of God's presence when we pray. Listen to how he continues. Haven't you ever had such an experience? An overwhelming sense of God's presence. Or haven't you at some point, perhaps at many points in your life, been aware that God has come upon you in a special way and there is no doubt whatever that what you are experiencing is from God? You may have been moved to tears. You may have deeply felt some other sign of God's presence by which you were certainly moved to a greater and more wonderful love for Him. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Of course you do. Of course you do. When I was a teenager... I lacked this peace in my life. In fact, when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age, I was so fearful that I would often cry before I went to sleep at night. And I was afraid that if I died in the night, I had no idea where I would wake up I did not know, and this word fear here, it very much described my relationship to God. And I was so afraid that finally at the age of 18, I was a college freshman. I said, Lord, I'm going to settle this once and for all. And so I cried out to God. I said, Lord, I have believed in you the best that I know how. I have repented. I've trusted your Son. I want to live for your Son. I want to follow your Son. I want to love your Son. I'm now going to take your word for what it says, and I'm now saved. I'm now saved. I'm settling it now. And I want to tell you something. After that, the peace and security that these verses are talking about came into my heart. God went from being distant to being near. He went from being far away to being close. I knew that He was my Father. 
I knew that He loved me in a way that I had never known before. I knew that He would guide me, be there for me in life. And now when I pray, I know He's listening. I know He's listening. And I didn't understand all that was happening at 18 years of age, but I understand it now. I was experiencing what this is. I was no longer a slave to my past life. The Spirit of God is not a spirit of slavery. He's liberated me. I'm no longer afraid of my father's rejection. And there's an intimacy when I pray. I know God is listening. I know He cares. It is this witness of the Spirit. Can I tell you something I said in the first service? I don't know if I can say this without crying. I made it through the first service. The reason Eliana's birth mother chose my niece and her husband is because she was in their youth group and they were her youth leaders. And they loved her and cared for her so much as her youth leaders that when she became pregnant and knew she could not keep this child, she chose them to have her child. And as she was filling out the papers, knowing when all this is legal, and they leave my state and go to their state, she said to them, I'm afraid you're going to forget me. You know what they said to her? Have we ever forgotten you? Have we ever forgotten you? Let me ask you this question. A God who has done this for us, will He ever forget us? A God who has adopted us in this way into His family, will He ever forget us? The answer is no. And that's what he wants us to know. My old professor, Tom Constable, has a wonderful statement at this point in Romans 8. Look what he says. Paul believed that the believer who is aware of his or her secure position will be more effective in putting to death his or her flesh. And why is that true? Because the more secure you know you are in the Father's love, the more you will love Him in return. And living for God and letting the Holy Spirit have His way in our life is always rooted in love. And so the more secure you are in your adoption, knowing 
The Father will never abandon or forget you. The more you will be motivated to fight the battle with the flesh by the Spirit of God, to let God make you like Himself. Now there's one final powerful blessing, and we have to look at it. We are sure of our future inheritance even when we suffer. Somebody hurting today? Somebody had life go in a hard direction? Somebody today would say, I never thought this would happen to me. That's the time when Satan will whisper in your ear, are you sure God loves you? And I want you to notice what verse 17 says. Look at it. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You may know the most famous adoption in the ancient world was when Julius Caesar adopted Octavian. If you don't know the story about that adoption, let me share it with you this morning. Octavian was the son of Julius Caesar's niece. The first 18 years of Octavian's life were unremarkable But a surprise in Julius Caesar's will eventually resulted in him becoming Caesar Augustus, the ruler who transformed Rome into the greatest empire of the ancient world. The very Caesar Augustus who was ruling when Jesus was born. The highest position in mighty Rome was conferred upon Octavian because he was adopted. And did you notice what verse 17 says? As a Christian, you are an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ. The word heir means heir by right of sonship. What that means is this, all that Jesus receives we are going to share with Him. All that He has received because of His Sonship, unique to the Father, now He will share with us because of our Sonship adopted into the family. One of the greatest passages that talks about what we are going to experience and receive is 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. Let me read it for you. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, who was Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. And then in case you didn't think I really meant it when I said all things, all are yours. And you are Christ's, 
And Christ is God's. Octavian ruled Rome by adoption. We receive how many things by adoption? All things. All things. When life is hard, and following Jesus is difficult, What enables you to make it is I'm an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ. All things will be mine. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer. As her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed. Maybe you are here today and you say to yourself, I have never ever heard anything like this about God's adoption. And you might be here today and say, I'm not sure that I've been adopted into the family of God. And what I want to say to you is the peace that I found when I was 18 years old that has never left me is the peace that you can have. And we're here as a church because we want to help you have that peace. And if you're not sure today that you've been adopted into the family of God, We want to help you. And you let us know how we can do that. Maybe you're here today and you are hurting. Some things have come into your life that you did not expect. And you're struggling. And maybe Satan is whispering in your ear. God isn't really real. He doesn't really love you. He's not there. And God put this passage here in Romans 8 to tell you all about the spirit of adoption so you could say, I'm secure. I'm safe. God is with me. And I will trust Him. Father, thank You today for loving us in this amazing way and help us to enter into the emotion of it 
joy of it. The peace of it. And as you have loved us in such an incredible way, we love you and follow you in return. For Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen.